Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Shop Talk with the Sheriff. I'm Sheriff Gregory Tony here at the Broward Sheriff's Office. Today, we're just having more guests on and continuing our discussion about some of the things that are going on within BSO. You know, this is roughly my 21st month of being in command of the organization, and we've been super active. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the bigger concerns that this community and country is still facing uh, in terms of uh, police reform and what's occurring. Uh, I'm proud to say that this organization is leading not only Broward County, but really the, the entire state of Florida on some of the things we've done. And today, uh, I have a guest with me. I have uh, Colonel John Hell, who leads up the Department of Professional Standards. Uh, he has been with law enforcement now for 34 years, 34 years. And I got to tell a little personal story before we get into it. Uh, John has been my master Yoda. Uh, he has been on my shoulder, whispering in my ears, guiding me uh, as to what I needed to do to effectively lead this agency. And he leads up one of the more sensitive areas uh, when it comes to police reform and accountability because everything goes through his shop. Uh, he is responsible for uh, not only the compliance aspect in terms of policies and accreditation, but also for the entire internal affairs procedures that so often is part of the critique process that the community have. Was it a case handled right? Was it done effectively? So, John, welcome. Welcome to the uh, podcast. Take a moment, tell the folks a little bit about yourself, your career, and how you arrived here. Sure. Thank you, sir. I appreciate being here with you. Um, I uh, started my career in the city of Pompano Beach, which is my hometown where I grew up. Uh, went to school, graduated high school there, and then uh, jumped on with the Pompano Beach Police Department back in uh, 1986 and uh, worked for them uh, for the first uh, 12 years of my career. And then in 1999, the city made a decision to merge into the Broward Sheriff's Office. Uh, so I came into uh, BSO's organization through that merger. Uh, stayed in Pompano, was the Area 2 captain in Pompano. And then in 2004, that's when the city of Cooper City merged into the Sheriff's Office. And I went down there to be their uh, district police chief at the time of the merger and uh, stayed there as their chief for nine years and then uh, went back home to Pompano in 2013 as the major and police chief in Pompano um, until uh, you uh, you put the call out and, and brought me downtown in uh, the beginning of 2019 where I was uh, promoted to colonel. One of the best decisions I've made since being here. Well, and, I appreciate that, and, sir. And thank you for your service. And, and look, you heard he's a hometown boy from the know, as they call it. In the uh, know. And we got a lot to talk about. So, as you know, throughout the entire nation, there's a, a cry for accountability and transparency. Most of it based off what we've seen with the George Floyd incident, Breonna Teller came up, Jacob Blake, many other incidents, not only just over the last couple of years, but really the last decade. What are you seeing uh, in terms of your shop and all the experience you have uh, to ensure we are doing the things when it comes to accountability and transparency and some of the projects that we launched. Let's talk about it from top down, you know, from the early warning system. Why was that important for you to have in your department? Sure. Um, well, I, I think you started seeing a uh, different perspective on, on accountability and compliance uh, start probably a, f a few years ago. Um, that's when you started seeing body cameras come into the right. picture for law enforcement. Right. And you saw resistance to the body camera program initially, uh, but then when they were brought on board, um, the deputies and officers, they won't go on the street without them now. So you saw that, that change start back then, 
and then with some of these incidents that have occurred nationwide, um, and unfortunately we had some of our own here locally, that brought awareness even more to the forefront, and, and that basically demanded change. Right. Um, we um, were basically uh, in, in a system of, especially when it came to use of force, we were kind of in a system of, well, if it kind of looks okay, um, you know what, we give the benefit of the doubt to the officer That's right. or the deputy. Um, and, and we saw that when, when you and I looked back historically through this agency's use of force cases over the past uh, four, five, six years. That's right. There were no terminations. And not saying that there had to have been or should have been, but when we in the past 20 months were faced with four, four or five serious use of force cases and, and re that required terminations, in the past five years, there were none. There wasn't even any serious discipline when it came to use of force cases. I think that was a, a glowing yeah. example yeah, of the eye opener why sure. the ship needed to start turning. And when you came in the office, you started that. When w one of the things we've seen with, like, the Minneapolis case was this uh, particular officer had 15, 16 different encounters and no, no type of checks or balances, remedial training, uh, red flag, so to speak, had took place. Uh, talk a little bit about what we're doing now uh, with the uh, reenact or, or reengagement with the early warning system and how that's effective and what that does for us as an agency. Sure. Um, early intervention program has is, is, is been part of our policy for some years, but if you look back historically, um, there was really no accountability and follow-up built into it to demand that uh, results came from an early intervention warning. Um, so previously notices would go out to the commander of, of say a district and, and one of their deputies popped up on the radar because they had a couple complaints against them coupled with some use of force incidents. Mm -hmm. So the notice went out and, and told that commander, hey, get with this person, check on them, make sure everything's okay. So we'd get a, a signed sheet of paper back saying, yeah, I met with them, everything's good, no worries. Right. Um, that's really not the accountability that we're looking for. Um, so what we did is, first of all, we computerized it. It's now under a system called Blue Team, uh, which was put into place, actually was put into place prior to you coming into office, but the switch was not flipped on to send out the automated notices and the system was not programmed with the thresholds that it needed. Uh, the thresholds meaning how many different types of incidents will trigger one of these notices. So right. uh, Captain Champagne and, and his group in internal affairs, um, right in February, I think 30 days after you came into office, we made a decision that look, we gotta get those thresholds programmed properly and we gotta flip that switch on and get this working, and that's exactly what we did. In, in the simplest form for the community, uh, is it correct to say, you know, by having that system in place, we're less likely to allow uh, a deputy or individual to get to 16, 17, 30 different type of use of force cases without finding some remedial training or making adjustments to modify that behavior to ensure that we're not abusive. Is, is that safe to say? That is absolutely what the intent of the program is. Um, it, it, it is to, to, to raise a flag. And, and again, the, when these flags are raised, doesn't necessarily mean that, that there's bad things happening. It mm -hmm. just means that there's some things happening and it deserves a look.
and it requires the commander now to call that employee in and sit that employee down and say, hey, lay it out to them. Uh, explain to them why you got this notice. You got three or four use of forces here, um, and they can look at all different options, whether it is, like you said, retraining. Um, it, it Maybe sometimes the employee's having personal problems, right. and, it's, and they're encountering difficulties at work because of the stresses of a, of a, of a personal problem. That's so right. People forget we're human beings, and we got issues going on in our homes just like everyone else, finances, banking, uh, you know, child care, all those things show up. And we, as officers, we do our best to put them aside before we go 10-8 or in service. But it's almost impossible to just flip that switch completely off. Uh, another thing that's been big in terms of the community response and appreciating what you're doing in your department uh, was how we restructured the Professional Standards Committee and brought in uh, a new chairman, uh, Judge Gonzalez. How has that been effective, and what is the community gaining from that move? I tell you uh, that that was that was just a, a a home run move in bringing in Julio Gonzalez. Julio uh, was part of uh, uh, the legal community here in Broward County. He was a sitting Broward County judge uh, for uh, a few years, and then uh, he left and he actually went to work uh, for one of the police unions. So he was deeply involved in labor uh, from that experience. So he's, he's got both sides. He's got judicial experience. He was a prosecutor, came out of New York as a prosecutor, was a prosecutor here in Broward and Dade. Um, and then he went and worked on the labor side. Right. So he's a wealth of experience, uh, was a breath of fresh air to come in as the new director. And uh, bringing him in coupled with the restructuring of the PSC under his new leadership was a tremendous home run. Yeah, you know, you, it's called the Professional Standards Committee, and by bringing in a judge, you, you talk about including more professionalism. I've seen how he acts and, and how he communicates uh, and work with us, so he has been a huge asset. You, you touched on it a little bit about the restructuring in the yes. Professional Standards Committee. Uh, you want to talk about the selection process and how we're bringing in uh, different members from the community now, how we've changed that compared to what it was in the past? Sure. Um, there, it, It's made up of uh, command staff members from within the organization. There's, there's two Department of Law Enforcement command staff members. There's two from the Department of Detention. There's two uh, uh, management employees from the unrepresented uh, departments. Um, and then there's the most important part of it is there's four civilian appointees. Um, which we bring in from the outside. And what we did is those, those four civilian seats, they were there previously, but they, they weren't always filled with people that were fully engaged and invested in the process and mm -hmm. what they needed to do. Um, and, it, and it sometimes became one-sided because you have union members in there as well. And uh, some of these meetings, th they would just roll over the civilians and the civilians wouldn't even have a say in the dynamics of the group discussion. So, um, Which does a disservice to the whole process. Absolutely. And, and again, like I said, I, I think those four civilian members are, are one of the most critical components of this board because they bring in an outside perspective. So by retooling it, uh, what you asked us to do, um, we brought in uh, four new civilian appointees. Uh, some of them are lawyers. Some of them are labor um, uh, experts, experts yep. that have worked in the field before. So um, they 
they're fully engaged. In fact, they were just in here Friday um, with Director Gonzalez uh, sitting in the auditorium where the meetings are held, being briefed and uh, uh, briefly spoke to them, and they're fully engaged, and I think this is going to be a very positive move. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing I would say, uh, talking to our personnel, our deputies, our law enforcement personnel who are listening to this, uh, the clarity behind that this benefits them as well. Uh, because we are mitigating the very few that decide to create issues. So often uh, we're caught up in the middle as administrators to where we have to manage what's best for the organization and the community, but that doesn't mean we're not thinking about our men and women. Uh, in your experience, in your vast 34 years of experience, uh, from being part of this uh, profession in this organization, how would you relay a message to our personnel and to your command who's hearing this about what we've done and how it's actually effective for them. Well, I, th I think the first step that they saw you make when you came through the door was you changed training, okay, to give them uh, some of the best training that exists here in the United States for law enforcement. That was a priority of yours. And another priority was to properly equip them to go out there and do their job, okay? So um, you didn't come through the door with the with the whole discipline accountability piece first and put that up in, right. in, in front. You came through the door to give them the proper tools to go out there and do their job effectively and keep both themselves safe and the community safe. Absolutely. That was priority number one. So we give them the tools, we give them the training, and we give them the authority. And it's the citizens that give them the authority. They're public servants. That's right. Um, but with that authority comes necessity to have accountability and high ethical standards. So it's got to be a balance. That's we perfect. gave them the training and the tools. We give them the power the community does. And we have to be kind of the gatekeepers to make sure that they're using everything properly and responsibly. Now you guys see why I call John uh, Master Yoda. Uh, all that wisdom has been in my ear for 20 months, and it's been great. Uh, I'm going to hit two other things really quickly, John, on yes, things that we've done. Uh, talk a little bit about the use of force review board that we've implemented and how we are now uh, submitting uh, our use of forces with the FBI database. What's your thoughts on those two things and kind of simplify for the community? Well, um, we, we had obviously a use of force review process in place before. But it, it, was, um, it was scattered out and placed responsibility into the different um, areas of responsibility, different district commanders. Um, so when a use of force occurred, uh, the use of force document would go up through the, the local chain of command, say in one of the cities for the sergeant and the lieutenant and the captain to look at. And then it would just go down to internal affairs and get filed and wouldn't really have another look. Um, so what we, we decided to do is, is add another layer of not only accountability, but an opportunity for if that district commander saw something that was a little bit questionable, mm -hmm. because we're not all use of force experts. That's right. Okay. We're all trained uh, properly in, in, in the legal aspects and the policy aspects, but there are people that we employ here that are actually experts in that. And sometimes it's the fine line that needs to be looked at by one of those experts. So that's who we employed with the Use of Force Review Board. So in any cases now where there's serious bodily injury or use of force that's used against a juvenile 
or if one of those district commanders looks at a case, watches the body cam video and says, you know what, uh, it's a fine line here. I need another look by a panel of experts. Um, they then send that to the Use of Force Review Board. It's made up of six people. It's directed by Director, former Judge Gonzalez. He's a non-voting member. And then there's five members, um, the captain of the training division. There's two use of force experts, one from Department of Law Enforcement, one from Department of Detention. And then there's two tenured field training deputies, one from DDLE and another from DOD. And they sit as committee and look and use their experience and their expert knowledge, and they make a determination, and they can steer it. If they feel there's questionable activity, they can steer it to internal affairs for further investigation. Um, they can say no. It's, it's within policy. It's within right. law. It's, it's a good use of force and was necessary under the circumstances. Um, and, uh, again, it, it, it gives us and our command staff um, a, a path for, for greater accountability. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, hey, why, are, why is BSO signing up and sending their use of forces to the FBI, and isn't this giving up authority within the agency? Uh, how do you uh, debunk that myth that what we are doing is giving up authority and power? It, it's more of a transparency thing, but I'll let you talk about that. No, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all, because I think which, when you start looking around at, at some of what's going on in the nation – you see disparities among different police agencies. That's right. You see disparities in hiring practices. Um, somebody comes here and goes through our process and doesn't get hired, but they go down the street to another agency and they get hired, or somebody even gets terminated and they go get hired by another agency. So there, there was just no um, um, national accountability or standards involved in uses of force um, or personnel decisions. So when the FBI came out and, and started this, and it was voluntary, and not a lot of agencies jumped on board. That's right. um, in fact, we're, I think now, initially, we were only one of two in this county um, that engaged in this. And I think it's a good thing. I think it does show transparency. And Bottom line is we've got nothing to hide. That's right. So who cares? We'll, we'll give our data to anybody. It's public record anyway, so what are, what are we trying to hide something? That was one of the something? key things I talked about. So there's nothing for us to worry about because we're handling things internally. It's about being transparent. And if we get critiqued on something, it's a lesson learned, and we can use it to advance what we're doing here. So you have been listening to those who have joined late. You've been listening to Colonel uh, John Hell. He is our executive director over the Department of Professional Standards, been here for 34-plus years. It's been a delight. I hope you've learned something uh, from what was talked about in terms of what his mission is and how it's uh, overall bettering this agency in this community. Uh, I want to say thank you again for joining the show today on Shop Talk with the Sheriff John. Uh, for all those listening, remember you can uh, join me, track me, pay attention uh, on Instagram at BSO Sheriff Tony. It's me. It's not a stunt double. I actually... Uh, take a moment or two out of my day to get back and uh, respond to the community. So until next time, stay safe, be humble, and try to love somebody just a little bit more than you love yourself. I'm Sheriff Tony signing out. Thanks again.